Um, ship, that's you, right? Oh, that's right. English. Now I remember what language humans speak. James, I am so sorry I was rude earlier, and I never got to properly introduce myself or explain the situation we are in. Oh man, I love me some good exposition. Here we go. James, you are no longer on Earth. You are currently inside of a research vessel orbiting Jupiter. What? I'm in space? Well, you see... I'm in space! Wait, how did I get here, though? I use a... what do you humans call it? Oh, a teleporter. I got beamed into space by a teleporter? Man, that is the most amazing thing I've ever done. Wait, did my body get put back together correctly? Or am I missing any appendages? Like an extra ear, maybe? Or like two belly buttons? Wouldn't you be able to tell if that was the case? Generally, I would say yes. But it does happen when you fall asleep on your arm. Then you wake up in a panic because you can't feel it. But then you realize everything's still attached. Well, let me assure you, in your current state, you are about as good as you will ever get. I also didn't intend to bring you here under such dire circumstances, but I was in desperate need of energy to power my systems. Oh yeah, what's up with that? That seems weird, right? Like, I'm not even really sure what that means. As I mentioned earlier, I am a research vessel but my mission is to research stories and pop culture from the human race as your imagination, creativity, and thoughts are considered a very valuable resource to the rest of the universe. Universe? Whoa. Universe? Yes, universe. Alright, so, okay, I'll go with this, but why me? To put it plainly, you have seen and experienced a great deal of pop culture on Earth, and your opinions are a very valuable source of power, and you seemed like the perfect candidate. Bored, but creative at your core. Lazy, but looking for something more. And falling asleep on your couch, laying in a pile of Taco Bell often. Wait, what? How do you know about the Taco Bell? Have you been watching me? Have you seen me poop? James, let me assure you, it's not a big deal. Everyone poops. Eh, true. Fair enough. Well, okay then. Where's the rest of your crew? Every ship has a crew, right? That is true. Every ship does have a crew. But unfortunately, I have misplaced mine. Well, that seems kind of odd. Um, where did you misplace them? I should know, but while I was in a low power state before I found you, some of my memories have been corrupted. So I do not know. Many of my other systems were damaged in the journey. Oh, well, are you okay? Are we safe here? I mean, I'm not going to get sucked out into space or anything, right? Please, let me assure you, 
You are very safe here. Your thoughts and human spark is the only thing keeping us alive. My precious. Hmm. Um, well, that's totally not creepy at all. Where did you come from? Do you remember that? I... I... I do not remember. My memories must be more damaged than my first analysis. Okay, I guess I see how that works. Well, what can we do to fix this? I can direct you down to my memory bay. And maybe if you give me a review of something, those thoughts and creative ideas can help me bridge any broken memory relays. Alright, sounds good. Show me the way. Please follow the yellow arrows that I have projected for you on the ground. Well, it looks like I'll just have to follow this yellow brick road here. <laughs> you humans, so funny. Okay, no more arrows, so I guess I'm here. Yes, well, not exactly. Well, let me guess, you forgot where you were taking me, right? I would love to have you work on restoring my memories, but a new issue has arisen, unfortunately. Okay, now what? My sensors have picked up a rogue cluster of asteroids from the Kuiper Belt headed directly at us. Ah, I see. Sensors. So that's how you're watching me poop, you pervert. James, did you not hear me? Asteroids are hurtling towards us, which surely could lead to our demise. Oh, crap! Uh, no pun intended. Well, that's not good. Is there anything we can do? do? Do I need to man some guns and shoot them down or pilot you out of here safely or something like that? My engines are down and I am a research vessel, so I have no guns, but I do have shields. Shields. Great. Okay, that works. So just use those. Yes, but they won't be able to protect us from asteroids. James, everyone knows that. Just trying to be helpful here. I mean, why did you even mention it? My life is kind of hanging in the balance here. And that is why I brought you here. Whoa. This is my shield generator coil. If you could give me a review while in this room, we should be able to supercharge my shields. Okay, well, it sounds like we have no other choice, and this is our best shot, right? Correct. James, please give me a review of Armageddon. Seems a little on the nose, but here we go. One review coming up. Armageddon, such a movie telling of the time. The end, or really, beginning of the end for the Michael Bay apocalypse. Oh my god. The lens flares and explosions, they're blinding me. Everyone knows this isn't a great movie, but it certainly had its moment in the sun. 
Some would say the movie's moment was a bit longer than necessary, since this movie clocks in at about two hours. It was released back at the turn of the millennia, 1998, or, you know, pretty close to it, and shaped a lot of actors and creators' careers for the next decade or so. It really kind of... I'm not going to say that Armageddon was a defining movie for Hollywood, but... Definitely had a lot of star players there that it kind of could have influenced some of their careers. At the turn of the millennia, did you buy Y2K protection software for your computer? Nah, I didn't. I think it was a scam, really. Well, how did all of your computer systems on Earth make it through the year 2000? My systems were upgraded by quality software company Y2K Prevention. Congratulations, you're our millionth visitor. You've won. Please enter your social security number, credit card number, home address, and mother's maiden name to receive your prize. Oh, uh, what was that? I know I don't have a nose, but I feel like I just sneezed. Something that I'm a little allergic to now that they've made so many movies is the trio involved in Armageddon. You got Jerry Bruckheimer, baby J.J. Abrams, and Michael Bay and all of his luscious locks of glory. A fun thing to notice, actually, is Michael Bay makes a cameo in the beginning of the movie. It's when they're in, like, the emergency response headquarter. I think he has a line or two, then just kind of runs out of frame with his, like, long, bouncy hair. Very Fabio-esque. I have heard of this level of luminosity and volume from hair. He must be using herbal essences. You can tell. I'm more of a suave man myself, but the way this movie continues on from Michael Bay running out of the scene is the asteroid has a few shards that break off of it and pretty much annihilate New York. After a minute of asteroids blowing things up, you generally get the idea, but no, I mean, that's not enough here. This is Armageddon. They have a scene that like goes on for like five or ten minutes of just cars catching fire, exploding, and flipping. Like, you see at least, I'm going to say 15 cars just explode, fire, then just slow motion spin in the air. It's a beautiful thing. The cars were flipping on fire? Yep, that's what I said. It was a bit much, honestly, but disaster movies were really big back then, so it kind of makes sense. After that, you get to the main format of the movie. You get a series of montages, followed either by a big action budget set piece or a tiny little character moment. Tiny character moments how they make you see something in the characters you hadn't seen before and endear them to you. They make you think, oh, wow, this isn't just the actor I'm seeing. This is the character, themselves. The characters. Oh, the characters. There are so many with so many different stories that I don't think we are even supposed to care about them all. However, there are a lot of great actors in this movie that everyone cared about or came to care about over the next several years. You got Michael Clark Duncan. We miss you, Bear. Steve Buscemi. This tipping automatically. 
It's for the birds. Ben Affleck. Affleck? Affleck. Affleck? No, no, no. Affleck, because DC should have taken some insurance out on him when he became Batman. Your burn is so sick, you may have to be admitted to the ER. Billy Bob Thornton. Before his hair grew in again. Liv Tyler. Nino Cathaglin, Lasto Beth Dyer, Rimonin Bruninen, Danen Ulayer. Do you know Elvish? Yes, I also know some Klingon, Dwarvish, and Wookiee. Alright then, I guess I'll hitch up if I ever need a Wookiee translator. And then we of course got Bruce Willis. Yippee Kaye, mother. Hey, that's the wrong movie. Oh, my apologies. With this many actors, it's needless to say, there are so many characters in this movie. I'm not even mentioning other noteworthy actors because they barely get any screen time. The one super odd and out of place addition in this movie is Owen Wilson. You forget that he's in this movie because he isn't even part of the opening sequence where they introduce the characters and the fact that they're the world's best drilling crew. I think the deal is that he did some work with the drilling crew, but now he's moved off to Texas and is herding cattle or something. Haven't you heard? Heard what? Cows are always moving, so someone has to herd them. Aw, Dad, no. What are you doing up here in space with your freaking jokes? You could definitely give Owen Wilson a run for his money. Because throughout the movie, he is literally there for just one-liners. Like, for instance, when the drilling crew is getting physicals from NASA to see if they're fit enough to go into space, he's just hanging out there playing with defibrillators and rubbing them together, and then talking out loud like he's, One, two, three, clear! and then just shocks himself. That's pretty much how all of his jokes go. It's just him, either with a one-liner or playing with a random part of the set or a prop, and he's like, hey, look, a hat. Oh, wow, a hat. I felt kind of bad for him, to be honest. It seems like he kind of got a raw deal, but I'm sure he got paid a lot for it, so. Oh, yeah, ship, question about space. Okay, I'm pretty darn sure this doesn't work, but for some reason, they slip this into the script of the movie, and if you think for more than three seconds, it just it doesn't add up, but they just kind of stick it in there. They're like, oh, no, 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 this is fine. It totally makes sense. This checks out. This checks out. Move along. So after they get done yelling at the drilling crew for slacking off on training when they're inside of this giant airplane hangar with an enormous hatch, they say, all right, suit up because you're about to experience what it feels like to be weightless in outer space when we suck all the oxygen out of the room. Then they just close the door. And if I'm not mistaken, wouldn't that just suffocate them? James, you are correct. Unless they start having hallucinations that they are floating before they pass out and die, I doubt they would understand what space is like from that. In fact, maybe this is a major plot hole and they do kill them all off in the hangar and bring them back to life as robots with copied memories to perform the same drilling tasks but with stronger, more resilient mechanical bodies. Oh yeah, speaking of them being some expert level drillers, they sure seem to screw up a lot on stuff that a professional wouldn't screw up on, I'd assume. Like why is Ben Affleck's character always the guy? 
He's the guy that's like, I got this. I feel it in my gut. Just just punch it hard. We're not going to let up. Just keep drilling. It's going to break through. And then every time something bad happens, except the one time at the very end when, of course, it matters the most. And of course, Aflac had to do it. He had to make it back because it was all about his sweet, sweet summer romance between him and Liv Tyler. You gotta have a good romance to bring the crowds in. Oh, you do? Then in that case, James, I have been hiding something from you. I don't feel prepared for this, but ship, what have you been hiding from me? I am falling deeply, deeply in love with you. Nope, no one's buying it. No one's coming to see the story of the unrequited love between a man and a machine. I'll pass. Well then, tell me more of the romance between Ty Flack in this movie. Like I was saying, sweet summer love that Bruce Willis's character doesn't want to happen because Aflac is a redneck or something to that effect, like he is, which they put on full display when Aflac gets chased down by Bruce Willis with a shotgun for sleeping with his daughter while they're on the oil rig, of course. Other details that are just a little odd in this movie, like when Bruce Willis sees them together, hanging out, just kissing, just touching. Nothing, like, weird and R-rated, just just kind of having a, a lovey-dovey time. And he hangs back. I mean, just, like, he creeps. Doesn't let him know that he's there. And just, he he's watching him. You know, you'd see... You, that happens in a movie when a dad sees the daughter. He's like, I see that guy. Should I intervene? Is he a jerk? Is he a bad guy? The thing is, normally they take off after like a split second. But Bruce Willis's character just like lurks for a few too many beats. And then he just kind of wanders off. Eventually. Eventually. I know it's supposed to be like, oh, he approves. How sweet. But it comes off a little weird. Kind of like when you said, Oh, remember that time I saw you fall asleep in your own Taco Bell? Not cool, man. It was not intended to be creepy. I was just evaluating how worthy of an energy source you would be. Evaluating my worthiness as an energy source. Yeah, not creepy at all. Another real odd detail in the script... Like, why, for heaven's sake, would they put this in there? Right before Bruce Willis goes off to do the most heroic thing you can do in a movie like this, sacrifice yourself for the greater good of mankind, he looks back at Aflac and says, You know, I always thought of you as a son. And before that, he he gives him the go-ahead to marry his daughter. He's like, take care of my daughter. You know, whatever, that thing. So you put two and two together there. And he's saying, yeah, I'd love for my son and my daughter to get together. Sounds like a great idea. Bruce, listen, Bruce, you gotta think before you speak. In Zindalinian space snail culture, it is considered to be the highest honor to recombine your genetic material with offspring from the same branch of a family tree. Oh, oh yeah, okay, that makes this all make way more sense now. I mean, really, I was confused, but now, crystal clear. 
because that is gross and space snails are gross. So that's just a bunch of gross things doing gross things. How odd. Xenophobia isn't something I detected in you while you were on Earth. Oh, and you're gross too. All right, so fast forward a bit, and once they get into space, things get a bit better. It isn't just montages linked together by a character moment that lasts, uh, you know, a few seconds. All right, so fast forward a bit, and once they get into space, things get a little better. It isn't just montages linked together by one moment or another with a character. I mean, I guess to start in space, a good start is Owen Wilson's character. The first dumb thing that comes out of his mouth is, after everyone oohs and ahs and takes in the majesty of space, he just says, This is just the beginning part of space. We're not even in real space yet. The Russian space station is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, because they build it up to be this big thing. There was a single Russian on the space station for six months, and he managed to care for it and do everything on his own. He is a little crazy, so watch out. And then once the Americans arrive, I swear to you, they are there for no more than five minutes. And then we manage to blow the space station up. Repeatedly told not to touch anything. And what happens? The Americans touch some stuff, break some things, catch some fires, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. You are American, correct? Yep. Proudly representing the good old U.S. of A. Please don't touch anything. I would like to continue to exist. Ah, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. That is probably what those Americans said too. Disabling all user systems. So much faith. You have so much faith in me to save us here. But I can't even push one button, just a button here, there, every now and then? Come on. After the space station, they get away safely. They manage to get away even though there's a massive explosion in space, and somehow that's fine. So then we get treated to some really great 2000s-era CG. And they land on the asteroid after several more catastrophes. And at this point, we've now entered the end game of the movie. Things really start to fall apart here. Most of the footage here is just like, Super shaky, lots of CG, tons of shrapnel and rock debris just flying everywhere. This part of the movie is almost unwatchable because it's so hard to just see what's happening. Most of the characters really get thrown out of the window at this point, except for a few supporting cast members like uh, Steve Buscemi and the Russian cosmonaut guy. In my opinion, the Russian cosmonaut is the MVP of the movie, if there was such a thing. Their characters still change a little bit in advance uh, at this stage of the story. Steve Buscemi's character somehow gets space dementia, which is, that's a thing, I guess, and tries to kill everyone. If you ever get space dementia, I will end you before you can end me. What was that about space dementia? Oh, nothing. It is just a sad, terrible affliction. Could have sworn he said something, but okay. So after the space dementia episode, and everything has gone wrong, and the team is fractured, and the drill is broken, they all are arguing, and Houston is just listening and doing nothing. They're looking sad and defeated. And one guy, my fa I think my favorite line, favorite moment, 
one guy in Houston just decides to share his brilliant thought with everyone in the darkest hour of humanity and says, uh, we're not looking too good right now. Understatement of the century. Is right now a bad time to tell you then that we're not looking too good either? The asteroids appear to be closing in. Not the most ideal time. I'm almost done here. Just give me a minute. In the end, though, Bruce pulls through for humanity. And he really don't want to miss a thing. As the world continues to spin on for Typhlack. The Earth only had 18 days in total to stop the impact of the asteroid. And it took them 60 hours from launch to reach the asteroid. I personally would have rather had the movie just show the 60 hours in space during its moment in the sun. Well, that seems like it did something. How close are those asteroids? They should be here any second. I have a high degree of certainty. We should survive this. High degree of certainty? What does that even mean? A 50% probability of survival. A 50-50 chance? Oh, jeez. Well, hold on to your butts. Incoming in five, four, three, two. Brace for impact. Join us in another two weeks to find out what happens next with James and the ship on Galaxy Review.